God regards us the way a mother regards an infant who's in the womb. That's just one of these ideas that God uses to, to express to us who he is and how much he loves us. And we say these words and we act like we understand what they mean, but it's a mystery how much God loves us. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Hi everyone, welcome to the Betwixt Podcast. I'm Deb Gregory, curator and host. People often say, God is love. But when you think of God's love, what does that mean to you? My guest is Michael Card, who has spent a lot of time thinking about the Hebrew word chesed, which describes the love of God. After about 10 years of research, he finally wrote a book on the topic. It's called Inexpressible, Chesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness. And what did he discover? Basically, that chesed is an untranslatable word defining an inexpressible mystery. There's no English word to adequately describe hesed, yet it's a word that God uses to describe himself. Mike calls it the greatest sacramental word in the Hebrew Bible. For some context, hesed occurs nearly 250 times in the Old Testament. It's often associated with covenantal relationships, and it functions within reciprocity. But hesed also has this kind of gravitational dimension that draws words like compassion, justice, and righteousness to itself. And Hesed is deeply connected to the image of God within each person. My interest in Hesed was piqued when I came to see how Hesed serves in the Lament Psalms as kind of a, a transitional word from lament to praise. It's an incredibly transformational word, and so I've invited Michael Card to talk with me about Hesed and how it both changes us and how it heals our world. Hello. Well, hi. Where are you home? Or are you traveling? I I drove all night to get home. Yeah, I was in Chicago for two days, and then I was in Lowell. I taught in the morning and did a did a concert uh, in the evening. So my my brain is pretty fried right now. So it's going to be fun talking about Hesed, an untranslatable word like Hesed. Yeah, don't pu- don't push me. Don't ask for anyway. <laughs> Michael Card is a well-beloved author and songwriter. You may have heard his classic songs, Emmanuel or El Shaddai. You may even have one of his 31 albums. But did you know that he's also a prolific author and biblical scholar? He's written or contributed to more than 24 books. Mike is a graduate of Western Kentucky University with a bachelor's and master's degree in biblical studies. He also teaches the Bible in a variety of settings, and he serves as a mentor to many younger artists and musicians. Michael Card lives in Franklin, Tennessee with his wife and four children. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, especially after you've had a long, sleepless night. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, you put a bee in my bonnet with this book. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to remember when I first came across the word hesed, because I studied Hebrew. I'm terrible at it, but I studied Hebrew in college, and my emphasis was on Old Testament studies. So I know that Mm -hmm. I came across the concept and the word, but when you wrote about it in your book, that really ignited a curiosity in me about Mm -hmm. the wonder of this word 
it's a concept that's difficult if we just stick with the English word love, right? It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a word for this. In fact, I don't think any other language has a word for this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think it's a uniquely Hebrew idea. Because God, the idea is founded in the, the revelation of God to his people. People like Solomon will say, there's no other God like you because you're a God of Hesed. And I think that's the big surprise of the Old Testament. I'm not surprised that he's almighty and knows everything and can speak the world into existence. That's what you expect from God. But that he's kind, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Hmm. And it's something that we've struggled to translate over the yeah. years. So I've been struck by how many different words have been used in the various translations and how that's shifted. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my current count, and I'm about, if I got some spare time, I'm going to go and look at some other translations and up my count. But in six different English translations, I have 169 different words wow. that, uh, that have been used to try to translate it. I think one of the really interesting examples in 1535, Miles Coverdale invented the word loving kindness. That word was invented to translate Hesed. That combination of words didn't exist before Coverdale tried to translate it. And I think it's a pretty good translation. But the thing is, you know, there isn't one literal translation of a word. That's part of how words work. The context determines the meaning. Well, my translation is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Mm. Um, I, that, and, but he, that, even that's incomplete. But th that's that's pretty close hmm. to sort of the world of this word because it's used in so many different contexts. It, and, and it uh, seems like relationship. It really is the core of that. It's not just some pie in the sky kind of concept. It's about relationship, right? That's the beautiful thing about it. It's not pie in the sky. It is fleshed out. It's shown in you know concrete ways. The first time it's used is Lot asks, and I think it's Genesis 1919, he asks God if he can go to this little town instead of fleeing to the mountains. And he asks God for Hesed. And there it's just a favor. But again, Lot has no right to expect God to do that for him. But he does. In my imagination, if I tell you to go to the mountains, you go to the mountains or I'm going to destroy you. Well, that's not the God of uh, the Hebrew Bible. What are some of those words that have been translated? You said that there's been more than 100. Yeah. Well, um, sure. It, it's been translated grace. It's been translated mercy. Mm. It's translated as love. It's translated as loyalty. When you hear compounds, like an adjective stuck onto another word, that's the translator trying to translate hesed. You know, like covenant faithfulness, radical loyalty, uh, loyal kindness, persistent faithfulness. You know, <laughs> this, if there's another word describing it, that's probably hesed. It's probably hesed. From before the beginning was a word that was living. It thundered from the mountain in the wilderness it shone. When the God who would be Father led his children through the water and with his loving kindness, he led his children home. His kindness, his mercy, his strength from above. The only one I know that's different, uh, Racham, which is uh, compassion, sometimes they'll say tender mercies. They'll stick tender on there. Okay. But not like Hesed. And are they related? Do they show up together? They do, and that's another uniqueness of Hesed is that 
Hesed draws words to itself, and one of the words is compassion. The word it, it draws to itself most of the time is emet, which is faithfulness or true. When uh, John says Jesus is full of grace and truth, that's a precise echo of Exodus 34. God says he's full of hesed va-emet, grace and truth. So at least what I'm hearing you say is that hesed just isn't an action, but it's something that kind of defines who God is yeah, and is kind of the basis of his relationship with us. Yeah, he defines himself in Exodus 34 when Moses is in the cleft of the rock and God covers it with his hand. God tells Moses who he is. In the cleft he would stand in the shelter of the And the first word from his lips is compassion, it's racham. It comes from the word racham, which is the word for womb. But then he goes on to say that he's full of hesed ba'emet, loving kindness and truth and that he shows hesed to thousands. So when he defines himself, God uses the word twice. Hmm. And he's showing Moses that he forgives sin. He regards us, God regards us the way a mother regards an infant who's in the womb. That's just one of these ideas that God uses to to express to us who he is and how much he loves us. Hmm. And uh, you have children, I have four children, and I can remember when my wife Susan was carrying our children. So, So that's an image that's in my head. And the fact that God uses that to reveal himself, yikes. But it also makes the cross make sense. It makes Jesus make sense. Because Jesus incarnates Hesed for us. Mm. And that's how he loves us. He loves us in that way. And we say these words and we act like we understand what they mean. But it's a mystery how much God loves us. Compassionate and gracious to a thousand generations so slow to anger abounding in love a love that bears the burden of the sin of the rebellion the covenant of kindness is a love that sets us free I've heard all my life, God is love, but I've probably been taught more so than that, that God is holy and God is righteous. Yes. And then there's this kind of judgment component to that. If if I'm honest, that's been kind of like the guide of determining how I relate to God. (laughs) Well, that's the safe way. (laughs) I'm going to stay safe. I'm going to err on the side of He's righteous and he's going to whack me if I do something wrong. Right. I get that. Yeah. But, but how does that relate to God's hesed? Well, again, this Exodus 34 is such an important passage because in the first half of that uh, revelation where he says, I'm compassionate and full of grace and truth and I show hesed to a thousand generations. The second half of that revelation, he says, but I don't leave the guilty unpunished. Hmm. It's hard to articulate, but there's a way of understanding even that is an act of hesed. Because what he, he goes on to say is, I visit the consequences of the father's sins to the children and grandchildren, second, third generation. And so because he is kind, God lets us experience the consequences. He doesn't punish us. Some translations translate it, I punish the children, you know, and people say, well, that just, that's just how holy he is. 
but the Bible's really clear. A person dies for their own sin. God, he doesn't punish me for my father's sins. But what he does do is let me experience the consequences of my father's sin. And that's part of his hesed to me. Because what if I didn't experience the consequences of sin? Then sin would just multiply. Hmm. No, so even that punishment is designed to drive us towards him. I think he prefers that we just accept how much he, he loves us and, and respond in hesed, because that's a whole other part of hesed. When when sh- someone shows you hesed, there's a reciprocal nature. We forgive mm. as we have been forgiven. That's part of the reciprocity of hesed. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because that's been something that's captivated my imagination, mm-hmm. this idea of the reciprocity. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, you see it in David's relationships, most often in historical books, and most especially Jonathan, David and Jonathan. Their their relationship is described as a relationship of hesed. David has no right to expect anything from Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan should have been king, right? Jonathan is Saul's son. Mm. But what does David get from Jonathan? David gets everything from Jonathan. He gets uh, friendship, and there's this reciprocal expectation because Jonathan has showed hesed to David that David will show kindness to Jonathan. And when Jonathan dies, tragically, David says, is there anyone left I can show Hesed to? So David really gets it with all his other flaws. (laughs) David understands that because he's been shown kindness and mercy from the son of Saul, who should have killed him. I mean, if Jonathan was smart, he'd have killed David, right? And become king. Hmm. But that's not how Hesed works. And so uh, we have the story of Mephibosheth and David showing kindness to this crippled son of Jonathan. And so that's how it's lived out amongst human beings. But then I think for us, God shows us Hesed, and there's this expectation. I mean, Jesus says that we should forgive as we have been forgiven. I'll forgive. I think maybe the most remarkable thing Jesus said is in Luke 6, where Jesus defines Hesed. Jesus says, God is kind, and there's that word, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I'll be gracious to the ungrateful. Not God is kind to people who really try hard. Or God is kind to people, you know, who have a a reverent fear of him. No, no, no. Because he's a God of Hesed, God is kind to ungrateful people and wicked people. That's you and me, by the way. (laughs) Unless you're thinking that's your neighbor or someone else. No, that's you and me. And what happens is when we realize this kindness of God to us, it's transformational. Through kindness win the victory by How can I not forgive you when I realize how much I've been forgiven of and given in terms of Christ and the cross?
to the cruel I will be kind. That's sort of basically the reciprocity of it. And the other side of that, in the historical books, if someone shows you Hesed and you don't reciprocate, you are the worst sort of person hmm. if you don't do that. Now, it's not like there's a covenant sanction and you're going to get whacked because of that. It's just that the Lord is incredibly disappointed in you. If you're shown Hesed and you don't show it back. Then you really haven't received Hesed from God. In a sense, you really haven't received it in the first place. I mean, James, mm. in, in his letter, sort of hints at that. It's hinted at all through the New Testament. If, no, if you don't respond in kind, then you really didn't get it in the first place. I mean, God showed it to you, but you really didn't get it. Because it's transformational. It changes your life. Yeah. You know, this morning, I like to listen to uh, this little app called Pray As You Go. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's just some daily meditations that a Jesuit community in the United Kingdom uh, puts out. Huh. And it's it's so beautiful. And the meditation this morning was from Leviticus 19, which is one mm. of my very favorite passages. Yeah, me too. You know, as I'm thinking about our interview today, I just had a new lens on that passage. You know, it's the imitato day. God is calling people to imitate him. He's holy. But like every example is the opposite of hesed. Do not take advantage of your neighbor. <laughs> Make sure to pay mm -hmm. people their daily wages at the end of the day. Don't withhold it to the next day. You know, it's, yeah. it's example, and example of what isn't hesed. And then at the very end, it says, but love your neighbor. Like there's this mm. turning. Absolutely. And, 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 and Jesus engages with that passage in the parable of the, the man who pays the people who worked one hour uh -huh. as yes. much as the people who worked all day. That's Hesed. And the people, of course, they're all ticked off that, that that has happened. The people working in the vineyard, right? The workers in the vineyard, yeah. Okay. And, but, but it's in so many, it's, it's in the prodigal son. I mean, what happens? Yeah. That boy has no right to expect anything. What does he get? He gets a ring and a robe and a party and it's, Hesed is always over the top like that. You know, the, the Good Samaritan, he, he binds his wounds, he puts him on the donkey, takes him to the hotel, stays with him at the hotel and says, I'm going to pay when I get back. That's Hesed. If yeah. it's over the top, it's Hesed. The best I can do with that in Leviticus is it's progressive revelation. God is progressively showing us more and more of who he is because he'll say, love, love your neighbor. And then Jesus extends that on out to say, love your enemy. Yeah. And one of the translations of Hesed is enemy love. Wow. It's enemy love. Well, that's potent. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, there's no other way I can love my enemy but to realize I was God's enemy. He loved me. As I stand before God, I can't then hate my enemy. I've got to love my enemy. Jesus is not innovating. He's really showing this is what the Torah really means. Mm, yeah. You know, as a rabbi, he's saying this is what it really means. And so he's commenting on it on Leviticus 19. Yeah. And yeah. I was just really struck by the way the whole point is that we are to imitate God. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we're designed for. Mm -hmm. And when we live into that, when we receive God's kindness and his generosity, that should lead us to extend it out towards others, right? Yeah. When you, when you say it should lead us, maybe that's like a, a motivation question. And I would almost say that drives us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, true. I mean, no, let me say a better word. Compels. I'm compelled yeah. by the love of God to imitate him. 
okay, can I create the universe by saying a word? No, sorry, can't do that. You know, can I create fire on the top of the mountain and you can't touch the bottom because I'm on the top of it? No. But what can I do? I can love the ungrateful and the wicked. I can be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now, do I have to wait until my heart is totally transformed and I can do that out of pure motivation? No, we're going to be waiting a long time if we wait for that. But I can mm. imitate. I can try to imitate him out of a sense of gratitude because he's loved me. That's really beautiful. Yeah. I'm looking at James 2. Uh, speak and act as you're to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Oh. See? And I think James is thinking, has it, when he says this. And this, his thing is, mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah. And uh, if Christianity has a message, that's our message. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. the good news. <laughs> yeah. It's so beautiful and so rich. What first captivated your imagination for Hesed? Um, I was working on laments, the laments of the Old Testament, and most of the laments are in the Psalms. A third to a half of the Psalms are laments. So um, the word Hesed is again and again and again, it's in the laments. I mean, sometimes Hesed is the problem. You're God of Hesed, so why am I suffering? Yeah. You know, it's kind of Job's thing. Job didn't do anything wrong because God's a God of Hesed. He's got a real problem. So Hesed can be the problem. You know, if all my children had died from a wind that blew at four directions at the same time and collapsed the house, believe me, I'm going to be shaking my fist. You know, I'm not going to let go. Then God shows up. He doesn't answer a single one of Job's questions because I don't think we could understand the answer even if he did give it to us. But God shows this incredible Hesed. Job has said all these horrible things to God, that God doesn't love him, that God doesn't care. And God allows that. I mean, God has made those angry words a part of his holy, perfect Bible. Mm. Yeah, but then God shows up. Uh, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You put on glory and splendor. What's the way to the home of the light? Does your voice sound like the thunder? And I used to hear that as God rebuking Job, but I I think he's being kind. He's giving this perspective that he really needs. I don't think he's mad at all. And Job finally goes, oh my goodness, I said things I shouldn't have said. But they were things that needed to be said. And uh, and God shows up and he's a God of Hesed, I think. I I don't think those are angry questions. I think those are, he's being kind. I saw it in Hesed in particular in places where the laments transition. All of the laments transition from lament to praise, except Psalm 88. Psalm 88 laments all the way to the end. But three of the major laments transition at the word Hesed, Psalm 13, Psalm 69, and the Book of Lamentations. The whole book transitions when Jeremiah says, because of your Hesed, we're not destroyed. And I just stopped, Deb, and thought, okay, what just happened? You know, because those first 20 verses, I've been righteous for nothing, you know, lament, lament, lament. And there's this wonderful transition from I to thou. But you, you hold me by my right hand. Then I went into the sanctuary and I understood, who do I have in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire but you. I lift up my eyes unto the hills 
From when shall come my help? My help is from the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. He will not give to the moving of your foot, nor shall slumber he who keeps thee. Behold, he'll not slumber, nor will he sleep. I was just mystified by this word, and, and the way, only way I can say it is it's like they ran out of words. I lament, 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 lament. I'm so angry. I'm so confused. God, why are you hiding your face? I run out of language, and then I realize, but you're a God of Hesed. And they can't exhaust that word. It fits together beautifully, like you said. It's this idea of I'm going to somehow live out this key characteristic of God. In a sense, I'm going to show God has it. Yeah, I've just recently been starting to think about those lament psalms differently. Mm-hmm. That when we cry out with these questions, where are you, God? What are you doing? That there is an element of protest there. Sure. The protest isn't grounded, though, necessarily in like a spoiled child, I'm not getting my way. But it's grounded in chesed, in this unfailing faith that, no, I do believe that you are love, that you are kind. Mm -hmm. So show it. (laughs) It's kind of a protest for that because you believe it. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go, right? Uh, uh, Walter Brueggemann says, I'm not going to leave the dance floor till the music stops. That's his image. Yeah, it's a charm. Yeah, I would like to. I would like that too. I would, but it's a charming image. But I, and I really think that's Job. Job says, well, Job says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to shut up until you show up. Now, if God was the God that you and I traditionally think of, Job would be a little charcoal briquette, you know, <laughs> in, in, with smoke and, and flame. Hmm. But God shows up and he shows him his kindness by giving him the perspective that he needs. Because the, the truth is, what Job doesn't need answers. He thinks he needs answers. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need answers. He needs God. Yeah, presence, you know, right? We, yeah, presence. And, and that's how God always, I mean, he doesn't drop a book from the sky. Jesus comes to us. That's the answer, this person. And I want to keep this secret, okay? This just you, just when you and me. You don't learn about Hesed from reading books about it. Yeah. You learn about Hesed when you see it fleshed out. And I, there's a chapter in the book about an elderly uh, black woman who held my hand, and it changed my life. Oh, tell me that and story. She, well, uh, her name is Dinah. Okay. It's um, First Missionary Baptist Church here in Franklin, where um, I go to a Bible study every week. And I went to the church for a long time. when One of my best friends was pastor there. But um, the very first time I visited the church was in 1995. And I sat next to this woman. I didn't know her name. I found out she was Dinah, and I actually had been praying with her husband. I knew her husband, Bob, really well. The, the sermon starts, and she reaches over and holds my hand. And I thought, this is the first time I'd ever visited a black church like this. Hmm. And you and, never um, met her before? I never met her before. I didn't, she didn't even say hello. I didn't greet her when I sat down. She just, but she reaches and she holds my hand. And it changed my life. Because hmm. Acts of Hesed, I mean, Jesus says a cup of cold water. Can be the fullness of God's love can be expressed in very small ways, which is a miracle. John says when Jesus washed their feet, he was demonstrating the full extent of God's love. Hmm. And that, that's a miracle. 
I've been testing this out lately in grocery stores. I take people's carts back for them when people are loading their groceries into their car. Uh-huh. And if, if the timing is right, and I'm really careful if, if it's a woman, you know, I'll stand well away and say, can I take your cart away? Put Thank your you. cart for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm not stupid. I don't want to get maced creepy. or something. <laughs> right. I'm not trying to be creepy. But but it's it's an interesting test. And I, I had a, an older woman the other day weep. Really? And I was, uh, Yeah. I was just putting her, her cart up for her, but it was unexpected. It's sort of over the top. She has no right to expect anything from me. I'm just a stranger in the parking lot. But she got it. She really got it. And she, she started crying. That kind of love Widows smile And strong men weep And little ones play at its feet The deaf can hear And the blind can see That kind of love Love triumphant, love on fire Love that humbles and inspires Love that does not hesitate With no conditions, no restraints That kind of love Oh, that kind of love That kind of love Oh, may we be remembered by That kind of love And I thought, okay, this has the thing, this really is true. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. I think we're created in God's image, and there's part of us that resonates when someone shows us that unexpected kindness. Yeah. So what happened with Dinah? How did that change your life? You said it, oh. it changed your life. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I got off, off, <laughs> off topic. Um, so she, she's holding my hands through the whole sermon. She squeezes it every time he makes a point. And I'm looking around. I thought, well, this is just what black people do in their churches, I guess. I look around. No one else is holding hands but Dinah and me. And, the um, whole sermon. <laughs> yeah, the whole, the whole sermon. And again, <laughs> I'm a complete stranger. But I mean, think about our, our definition. I had no right to expect anything from Dinah. I mean, what sort of associations should she have had of a white man, the only white man in the building of about 200 people? What should she have done? She probably should have said, you need to take your butt someplace else and sit someplace else. That's what she should have said, mm. right? And, but no, uh, and she didn't just greet me. She held my hand. It was over the top. And the thing is, that happened in 1995. I struggled for years to understand that. I would stop and think about it, and there would be a tear in my eye. The service was about to start. It was my destiny. The only place beside her, it was waiting there for me. Without a word, she reached across and gently took my hand. I've traveled ever since that morning it began She reached across 300 years of suffering and pain She reached across the great divide of the color of our skins When she reached across that empty pew Then I understood that all the hate that meant to harm the Lord had used for good. Well, I got to know Dinah pretty well, and I didn't understand what that was until I started studying Hesed. And all of a sudden, I realized, holy cow, that was Hesed. 
Hmm. You know, she showed me this. It was very small, but in some ways, it was huge. And it, it changed my life. It really made me feel like part of that congregation. Mm-hmm. And it, I said, I, every Wednesday I go to Bible study still at that church. And in many ways, that was the thing that started it. Wow, that's really beautiful. It seems like it's a source of healing or yep. even was reconciliation a part of that? Yeah, I mean, just, just start start throwing words at it because it's all those things. I mean, really, that's really what it is. It was kindness. It was forgiveness. It was grace and mercy, right? All those words that sort of orbit around Hesed. She was showing me grace. She was showing me mercy, love. It was tender. So there was racham there. There was compassion. It was all those things. But the thing is, she incarnated it. Yeah. It wasn't some, here's my card's new Hesed book. I'm going to read about it and think about these ideas. It was this over-the-top, it was the ring and the robe and the banquet and the shoes and putting me on the donkey and binding on my wounds and take me to the end. You know, it was paying me for a whole day's work when, I, when I'd only worked for an hour. It was all those things. Hmm. And, and you sit there with tears in your eyes. You go, okay, I get it. I get it now. I can't put it into words, but I get it. It's something like that. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. I've been kind of meditating on this quote by Gregory of Nyssa. Mm-hmm. He was one of the, the early church fathers, and he says, Concepts create idols. Only wonder grasps anything. Oh, that's good. Isn't that good? That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Bonhoeffer said, we put words to mysteries, and we think we understand them. We, we think we put a word to it, and we understand it. And that's a very um, Greek way of thinking. And one of the things I think that's unique about Hebrew is Hebrew— doesn't tend to do that. Well, that's why one word can be translated 169 different ways. Now, that feels like ambiguity to you and me, but it's not really. Words can have this depth of meaning that is sort of mysterious. And for me to demand what is the one literal translation of this Mm. can be misleading. Let me quote Dinah Smith. She used to say, if the devil can't make you do wrong, he'll make you do right wrong. Isn't that that's brilliant? a good one, yes. I mean, that's like, that's Plato. Oh, that's like man. something from Plato, right? You know, even in the demands we make on Scripture, okay, I'm saying, you know, I'm going to be this astute Bible scholar, and so I demand that you tell me what this one word means, and, and uh, I'm kind of doing right, wrong. It's, it's good that I want to understand what it means, but I'm not understanding how words work. Hmm. I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of mistrust, not trusting God that he'll reveal himself to me. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting idea. It is. Ambiguity is one of those things that we dislike and we try to avoid. But I sure. think that it's that pot soil from which actually new things can grow. That's kind of how I think of liminality mm-hmm. as this space where something ambiguous can allow a deeper reality to take root. And I wonder how you think of liminality and, and chesed as being this very transformational action within that scope of liminality? Well, I, I think if you take that in terms of like initiation, because uh-huh. that's where the word comes from. I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not. I'd never heard that word before. Uh-huh. So I had to look it up. But I think that's an interesting aspect to this because there's a degree to which you come to God with this set of assumptions that are close, you know, close, but no, you know, <laughs> what, what's the term close, but no, uh, no cigar. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, close with no cigar. Yeah, close. God says, close with no cigar, right? 
Um, and so, I, I, but, but then there's this point you, you go kind of into the darkness and then, and all of a sudden there's this moment of revelation where you, again, you go, Oh, that's what her holding my hand meant. And I'm sort of initiated, I'm, I sort of entered into this new understanding, but you're initiated into a group, kind of an ancient group of people who, like David, he sort of got it. And you go, okay, I get it. So are, is, is there anybody left that I can show Hesed to? <laughs> and it ends up being some kid with crippled feet, you know, that you normally would think was uh, not worthy of, to be shown kindness to. I'm going to show kindness to people. It's going to do something good for me. I'm going to get something out of it. Well, guess what? That's the opposite of Hesed. You do Hesed, and this is one of Jesus' innovations, I think, that had to do with Hesed. If I give a million dollars to a school and they put my name on the building, that's charity. And that's a good thing. Charity is a good thing, but it's not Hesed. If I give them a million dollars and I say, I don't want anybody to know I did this, that's Hesed. And so what does Jesus say? The three pillars of Judaism are prayer, giving to the poor, and fasting. What's the one thing Jesus added? When you pray, don't let anybody know. Okay? Because you don't... Yeah. When you give to the poor, I mean, how do you do that? Well, you, you don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you don't do it to be thanked, not by men. But Jesus says, you know, God who sees in secret, you're going to be thanked. You're going to get something back from God. But that's not why you do it. How does it change us when we get it? Um, when I get it, how can I not then show it? How can I not love my enemies? When I have that moment that you're talking about, right? Where you sort of, you're initiated or you pass through the cloud of unknowing or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And you come out the other side transformed. Well, if you don't show it, then everything previous is sort of illegitimate or it must not have really happened. Hmm. Because I haven't emerged as a changed person who then has a desire to incarnate that in my own life. Hmm, a compulsion, um, right? Yeah, right. The, the love of Christ compels me. Hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. The love of Christ compels me. And so I should forgive as I have been forgiven. What happens when you get it? You fall at Jesus' feet. I mean, all these people that we find at His feet, they all kind of get it. And they realize there's no place in the world that I can take this sin to but to his feet. Why? Because he's he's the incarnation of God's chesed. He's full of grace and truth, as John says. He's full of chesed va'emet, grace and truth, mm. kindness and truth. Kindness. And that leads yeah. us to repentance, right? That leads Absolutely. us to change. That, and that's Paul in Romans 8, right? God's chesed is the pathway to repentance. Uh, yeah, his chesed leads me to repentance. It begins with godly fear, like, you know, uh, infant obedience begins with godly fear. But an experience of an appreciation for his kindness is what takes us there. Jonah is a great example. Jonah, at the end of the book, he sits down, the little gourd thing happens, which I, I love that scene. I mean, God is messing with him. There's nothing else you can say. God is messing with him, right? Yeah. And so the worm eats the vine and the vine shrivels and his head's in the sun and all that stuff. And uh, God's messing with him. He says, uh, Jonah, are you mad? He said, well, I'm mad enough to die. <laughs> and Jonah says, and he, Jonah uses the word hesed. Jonah says, I didn't want to tell the Ninevites because I knew you were a God of hesed, and I knew you'd forgive them. Mm. He sort of accuses God of being a God of hesed <laughs> because he forgives these poor you know, Ninevites who can't tie their shoes or something. There's some kind of image. They don't know the right hand from their left or something. Yeah. And um, 
So Jonah clearly doesn't get it yet. But I just have so much compassion for Jonah because these are his oppressors. Sure, right. Like, why would he want them to experience God's hesed instead of his justice so that he can be released from oppression? Well, in, in a sense, yeah. No, I get. I totally get that. And I mean, I'm, we're, def- we're definitely on the same page with that. But the, you're describing that sort of initiation, the thing that you have to go through to get yeah. to the other side. So Jonah doesn't get it. Simon doesn't get it. The sinful woman gets it. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That verse is a commentary on the book of Jonah. Mm. Yeah, and you get to a place where you just kind of run out of words. I stand before the cross of Jesus and I say, I have no right to expect anything from you. I nailed you there. I nailed you there. I raised the cross. I'm the reason you died. Mm. And what does Jesus give me? Does Jesus give me a second chance? No, Jesus gives me more chances than I can possibly imagine. How many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? And in essence, Jesus says, no, more times than you can imagine. Hmm. That's Hesed. That's Hesed. That is Hesed. You talked about how modern day Judaism is kind of grounded in, in this concept of Hesed. Yeah. And yeah. there's one um, phrase, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but Tikkun Gulam, repairing yeah. the world. What is that about? What is this healing effect that happens through our actions of Hesed? Well, in, in Judaism, the way you heal the world or repair the world is through Gimelut Hasidim, acts of Hesed. That heals the world. Mm. Well, it began in 70 when the temple was destroyed. Okay, you, you have a cult, you have a, a, a temple cult there. I'm not saying Judaism is a cult, I'm using that in a technical term. Yeah. Uh, it's based on sacrificing animals in one place. That's how you are a Jew. You take sacrifices to the temple. I mean, that's the key mm-hmm. key thing. Now the Romans have destroyed it. It's gone. No more priests, no more Sadducees. They're gone. And a very important person whose name every Christian should know, Yohanan ben Zakkai, he's walking out. He's gone to the Romans, and he's, he's a Pharisee. He says, we are not a threat to you. And the Rome realized that. And so they allowed the rabbis to go to a city called Yavne. They're walking out of the ruins of the temple, and one of his students, Yosef, says, there is no longer a source of holiness in Israel. Hmm. The temple's gone. We, we're done. I mean, in one sense, Judaism's done. It's over, right? At least that's what the, Rome, <laughs> the Romans were hoping. And Johanna ben Zakkai, the great reformer of Judaism, says, no, we have a greater source of holiness. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire chesed and not sacrifice. So he puts Judaism on this track from Hosea where God would say, I would rather you love some well than offer a sheep, right? And so that's the track that Judaism has been on, you know, since since then. And so eventually what do we have? We have Hasidic Judaism. Mm. That's Those are people who rely on the Hasid of God. So that ball is still in play in Judaism, I think. And I've, I go to Israel a lot. I, I had a panic attack one time and I was in a tunnel. And uh, the guy I was with, I mean, I had serious, I was, you know, if you ever had a panic attack, your body's basically saying, you're going to die, mm-hmm. right? So I came out of this tunnel, it's under the temple wall, okay. into the synagogue. And, and here's a Gentile busting into their service. You know, they should have kicked me out, right? And three or four guys got around me and they're like petting me and saying, shalom, shalom. They were showing me incredible kindness. And I interrupted their, their deal. And that's that's almost one of those Dinah moments where wow. I was shown incredible kindness 
And I'm a Gentile. They should have seen me as an enemy and kicked me out, but they, they were very kind to me. Hmm. And how is that related to this idea of healing effect? What does that do to you? What does this do well, to the world when we engage that? Well, the, the presupposition is the, the world is wounded. The world is broken and fallen. Mm-hmm. And I think if anything is clear, it's that this world is not the way it should be. It needs to be healed. Yes. Okay. And one of the early rabbinic teachings is that God created the world. You know, the, the question that was asked, why did God create the world? And one of the answers that stuck, I forget which rabbi said it. He said, God created the world so he could be kind to it, so he could show it his hesed. From before the beginning was a word that was living. And there's a psalm that says that the world is founded on hesed. And so, yeah, it's a pretty good answer. God created the world so he could show it his kindness. And I think further on down, you realize that that's how you heal the world is by being kind. And not just kindness, I'm going to do nice things for you, but all of the implications of Hesed. I'm going to love people who are unlovable. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm, that's what heals things. His kindness, His mercy, His strength from above, ever gracious, ever generous, If I keep shooting my enemy or blowing him up, that just keeps the world wounded. I mean, it's not just Christians or just Jews that get it, because I think it's part of God's image in us. Yeah. You know, kindness is not, it's not just our thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's what's been grained into us, right? It is. It's part of God's image. If God is a God of Hesed, then why do I cry when Dinah holds my hand? Because there's something in me that resonates uh, when that happens. Why does the little old lady cry when I take her grocery basket for her? Because there's something in her that was created for that, right? I'm created to experience God's hesed. The covenant of kindness is a love that sets us free. And when I experience it, even in the most minute, fragmented way, but there's a tear in my eye or it takes my breath away because I was created. For, you were created for that. Yeah. I, you know, I was trying to think of what, when have I experienced chesed and, and I've experienced it many different ways. But the, the one that kind of came to mind was so simple. My husband loves to shovel the snow, which is such a blessing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, which is great. He loves it. You know, our sidewalk looks nice. People can walk down the street. So he, he'll shovel our sidewalk and then he'll just go to the next house because our neighbor Jack is in his 90s. Uh-huh. So it's nothing for my husband to shovel his sidewalk and his steps. It's a joy for him to do that. Yeah. Um, but I remember the, the first time he did that, Jack was so moved by it. Yeah. Um, he called me up and is like, well, well, tell me what to pay. You know, like, I, who did that? <laughs> and we're like, you know, it's our joy. We, we love to do this for you. And yeah. a couple days later, he calls me up and says, come over to my house. And I went over and he had this big case of Budweiser. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So we're like. Oh, thanks. You know, we don't drink Budweiser 
but uh-huh. we accepted the this gift from him, and it sat in our basement for the, a long time. But we would pull it out every time we had guests, yeah, because it made the perfect booster seat for our kid, <laughs> our friends' kids. <laughs> oh, I thought your guests would your guests would be drinking. The, if I was there, I would be drinking the Budweiser. But anyway. <laughs> Well, see, what was that? That was reciprocity. It's reciprocity. And so we we then used it as hospitality, and it became kind of this silly symbol of hospitality in our home. It's not silly. You get it. And Jack got it. Yeah. But see, Jack wasn't paying you back, Mm -mm. right? It was out of gratitude. It was out of gratitude. Yeah. What was kind of cool about that story is then that summer, uh, a different neighbor across the street noticed that we had some trouble with our door and some projects around the house. And he's a handyman, so he came and did all these projects for us. Wow. And he wouldn't accept any payment. Then I noticed, oh, he actually does like Budweiser. So <laughs> Okay. We, yeah. Wow. So we're like, hey. So he gets a whole case of Budweiser. Did. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's over the top. Yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> he has these campfires in his backyard, and then he's sharing it with everyone. Yeah. And, and you know what that is? That's Takuno Lam. Mm. That's healing the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it it healed our our neighborhood. It brought us together. You know, you you ask the question, what is Takun Olam? You know the answer. Does it make sense that you're, from a worldly point of view, that your husband's shoveling the neighbor's driveway? Absolutely not. That makes no sense. But from an initiate, from the person who's passed through, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a joy. Well, you know, you alluded to this, that we live in this broken world. I don't see a lot of chesed when I turn on the news or even social media. What is your call for us in terms of chesed? Why do we need this? Why do churches, Christians, why do we need to gather around this? I mean, I'm a pointy-headed fundamentalist, and I mean that in in a good way. And my presupposition is that Everything was created through Jesus. Jesus holds all things together. And apart from him, there really is no meaning and no purpose. He really is the Savior of the world. I really believe. I mean, I really believe that. I'm putting all my chips on that hand. And so the reason Hesed is important is that Hesed is, I think, the most important category in understanding what the cross means and how, how the cross sort of works. I don't like to say how it works, but that's the only words I've got. So how does this whole reciprocal thing, loving my enemies, uh, obeying what Jesus said, forgiving as I've been forgiven, all these things we've talked about, they all have a connection and very important and sometimes a direct connection back to this idea of hesed. So I, I think that that's why it's important. Now, there are people who do, do hesed way better than I do who don't know the word. You know, it's not like you have to read my book and... Uh, and, and be initiated into this, into the club, and get a tattoo. I've got, a, I've got tattooed on my arm. Uh, you don't, yeah, you don't have to do that. Okay, um, but the reason it's important for me is this is, I think it's a, it's, it's something that's in God's word that we need to understand. And I'm, I was like you. I took Hebrew. I didn't know this word. You know, it's become a prayer for me, not just a action or concept, but but a prayer. And mm-hmm. the more I've prayed it, especially when I pray it out loud, I'm really drawn into a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll yes. pray it as a breath prayer. And I'm struck by when I exhale, heh, like mm-hmm. it takes everything in my body. It's like the most forceful sound I can make. Ah. And then said is such a settling 
consenting sound to me. Interesting. So when I pray this, it really becomes a prayer of yes and amen. Yes, mm. amen. And so I, it's probably the most common breath prayer that I use. I pray it for the people I love, the people I know, the people I encounter. Mm. Um, but I love that chesed. I have never heard that. And that, I mean, grammatically, the emphasis the, is, is on the first syllable. So that all works. Yeah. I've got to meditate on that. That's, that's, uh, that's really special. Well, that's my takeaway for the day. Yeah, and it is my prayer for healing. It's the belief that God is restoring all things. Yes, tukun olam. Yeah. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to have this really wonderful conversation. You're welcome. Thank you, Deb. You don't learn about Hesed by reading books about it. You learn about Hesed by seeing it fleshed out. As Mike has opened my imagination for Hesed, I've started to see it everywhere. And I've been struck by the way Hesed has appeared throughout some of the previous Betwixt episodes, like how Hesed was fleshed out in Joel Kimes' experience of forgiveness and embraced by an Amish family after he tragically killed their daughter. Or how Larisha Hawkins was compelled by Hesed to justice and social action that cost her job, status, and reputation. So what's your story of Hesed? I'd love to hear from you. Stop by BetwixPodcast.com or Facebook.com slash BetwixPodcast for links to Michael Card's new book, Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness. And if you're interested in ways that your church or community can put Hesed into practice, check out the upcoming Mystio Alliance Book Club. Shane Blackshear and C. Christopher Smith will lead a conversation on Smith's latest book, How the Body of Christ Talks. It's a four-week virtual gathering that starts May 21st. In our polarized political and social climate, it's difficult to have meaningful yet life-giving conversations with those we disagree with. So this group will explore how church communities can be training hubs where Hesed can be fleshed out by the way we talk and listen to one another with kindness and compassion. Register at missyoualliance.org, look for it under resources, or find the link in the show notes of this episode. I threw it all out start all over again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Betwixt Podcast. You can find more Betwixt episodes and view our show notes at betwixtpodcast.com, or you can visit my partners at missyoualliance.org. Missio Alliance is resourcing a church reimagined for a world recreated. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and given Betwixt a positive review on iTunes or Google Play. If you haven't done that yet, please consider taking a minute to help me out. This really is the fuel of podcasts, and it makes a big difference. Special thanks to my friends Rivoli for sharing the music that you hear now. You can check them out at ryvoli.com or Facebook slash Rivoli. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to produce this podcast for you. Thank you for holding liminal space with me today. Catch you next time. <laughs>